The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. Stocks back at record highs after yet another incredible intraday swing for the Dow Jones Industrial Average. But it's not just the blue chips. Reddit's favorite stonks are also on the upswing, some surging more than 50% in the pre-market for no apparent reason. In the fight against COVID, at least two new reassuring headlines today, giving investors more reason for hope. In Washington, D.C., Senators Way scaling back President Biden's $1.9 trillion package, but what exactly is on the chopping block? And you've heard of 3D-printed toys engine parts, maybe even jewelry. But how about a 2,000 square foot house, 3D printed? It's Thursday, February 25th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Top of the morning to you. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today. And here is how stock futures are kicking this Thursday morning off. We'll call them stable for right now. The Dow Jones Industrial Average implied higher by just a modest 55 points and some declines here for the S&P 500 by three. And the Nasdaq, a continued focus hotspot here for a lot of traders implied down 93 points right now. We haven't seen a whole heck of a lot of movement over the last hour or so. So, again, stable markets in the pre-market trade. Now, today's pre-market action comes after yet another incredible swing for the Dow Industrials, as you're seeing behind me here, erasing another triple-digit loss to end the day at a record all-time high. Check out the Dow Transportation Index as well, also surging for a fourth day in a row to its own record high. Now, check out what's happening with Treasuries, the 10-year yield at its highest Since February of 2020, right now, the benchmark note yield is 1.44%. The two-year note yield hovering just around 1.13%. And the 30-year long bond, 2.29%. So again, that reflation trade, interest rates moving higher, continuing to play out in today's bond market. And with oil, U.S.-based crude prices, West Texas Intermediate, WTI, trading at its highest level since January of 2020, currently $63.47 about a half a percent gain there. World benchmark ice Brent crude futures, $67.34, half a percent gain there as well. No more Powell speak for now, but still a very busy day ahead on the economic front. At 8.30 a.m., you have January durable goods and a second rate of real second quarter GDP. And at 10 a.m., January pending home sales, it could be a leading indicator for existing home sales coming up later on. Now, around the world, check out what's happening with the Asian trade, because you are seeing some green across the screen there. Remember, they did have an outsized loss the day before. The Shanghai Composite up about a half of 1%. Meanwhile, the Nikkei in Japan up over 1.5% as well. We will swing that globe around to what's happening with the European trade as well. Just about flat for the session on the German DAX, the FTSE 100 in the U.K. up about one half of 1%, and the CAC in France, similar percentage gains as well. So 
generally green on the European continent, with the exception of a very marginally down German DAX. Let's stick with those markets in your day ahead. Joining me now is Federated Hermes Portfolio Manager and Equity Strategist, Steve Chevron. And Steve, as we talk about this notion that markets are at record highs, the pullback that we saw was bought. Do we think this is still a constructive upside market in this, in this current environment? I think it absolutely is, Dominic. I mean, you are, you're in a scenario where, I mean, the vaccine and the, and the, uh, the virus data continues to improve and be incredibly encouraging. The retail sales number that we saw in January suggests that we have a ton of pent-up demand still in the system. And, you know, we're likely to see GDP growth numbers in the second and third quarter of this year that, that we certainly haven't seen in my lifetime. Uh, that makes sense. It makes sense that this is a constructive environment for stocks. And even with rates, you know, moving up, uh, you know, quite a bit here, at least off of the lows, we're still only getting back to levels that existed before the pandemic, which, again, makes sense. The pandemic is very likely coming to an end, you know, over the course of the next, you know, let's call it six months. And so the market's pricing that in as a forward discounting mechanism. So does this I mean, are we out of it? Is this done? Is the pandemic over? I mean, we're still getting shots. We're still getting vaccines and everything else. We know that the markets are forward looking. But does this mean that the world ahead is free of covid and we don't have to worry about the economic lockdowns anymore? I'm certainly not the person that's going to break the headline that the uh, the pandemic is over, though. I'd I'd love that opportunity and that honor. No, I mean, I I think what the market is is seeing is a world, though, that is significantly better. you know, the vaccines that we have in the United States, the three that we have, are 90-plus percent effective. I mean, if you go back to a year ago, a year ago this time, we didn't even know about COVID, or at least we were just kind of getting into it. But, you know, the early expectations on vaccine were that we were going to get something more like the flu vaccine, 40 to 60 percent effective. You know, what we've seen is really a mar- – I mean, we get lost, I think, sometimes in the back and forth and the political nature of everything right now. But what the scientific community has achieved here with these vaccines – is tremendous. I mean, it's, it's unprecedented. And then when you look at the, the rollout in the United States, yes, it's slow and it's frustrating, but we've still vaccinated, you know, 20% of our population. Europe somewhere around 6%. At least we've gotten one shot in the arm of around 20%. We're on pace to get, you know, the bulk of the public vaccinated over the course of the summer. And then we should expect better economics and hopefully better out, health outcomes on a go-forward basis, and the market's excited about that. I mean, the markets are excited. We, we can see it in, in what happened last year from the pandemic lows with the NASDAQ. We see it with what's happening over the last six months with the Russell 2000 small cap index. But there is this very, very interesting kind of battle happening right now with regard to whether or not high interest rates should tap the brakes on the market, only, it seems, for a specific part of the market. What's the part of the market most sensitive to rising rates? Well, I mean, I think from a, uh, you know, who benefits? I mean, certainly parts of the value cyclical trade benefit from higher rates. Look at I mean, look at banks. Banks were facing an inverted yield curve, you know, just several months ago. And now you've got the steepest yield curve, you know, in over, you know, a couple of years time here. Right? I think it's about three years. So there's certainly beneficiaries to that. Um, you know, more rate sensitive parts of the market, even there, you know, where you look at the dividend payers. Dividend payers have outperformed 18, 19 percent. Since Labor Day, uh, you would think that maybe that would be a part of the market that would have pressure from higher rates. But rates are still so low relative to dividend yields and relative, uh, you know, to to they're still very much supportive for for stocks. I think, you know, the parts of the market that are going to be most at risk here might be fixed income 
or things like just owning treasury bonds. But I think everyone needs to take a break or, or at least a breath on yields. I, I, we feel pretty confident that the Fed is not going to allow uh, the 10-year yield to just surge you know, uninterrupted. They have a dual mandate. There's still quite a bit of unemployment. We heard that from Powell. Operation twist could come on the table. Outright yield curve controls could come on the table. We expect rates to go higher, but we do not think they're just going to surge unimpeded between now and the end of the year. All right. Uh, a measured take there on what's happening with the markets here. Steve Chevron at Federated, thank you very much for coming on with us. Thanks, Tom. Outside of the markets, good news in the fight against COVID-19. Bertha Coombs is here with that and your other top morning headlines. Good morning, Bertha. Good morning, Dom. As Steve was uh, talking about, these vaccines are pretty amazing. According to a new large-scale study out of Israel, the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine was overwhelmingly effective in protecting against the virus in wide real-world usage, mirroring findings from those clinical trials. The study by the Clalit Research Institute in collaboration with experts from Harvard University and Boston's Children's Hospital found that the vaccine reduced symptoms cases by 94% just one week after that second dose and reduced severe disease by 92%. On Wall Street, shares of Churchill Capital, we're watching those, are coming off a second straight day of massive losses, closing down more than 1.8% or uh, 18% rather, just two days after announcing its uh, deal to bring electric vehicle maker Lucid public through a reverse merger. And the back-to-back drops following a nearly five-fold increase in the share price since early January when it was first reported that the two companies were in talks. The U.S. Transportation Department's Inspector General is out with a new report slamming the FAA in the wake of the two deadly Boeing 737 MAX crashes. The government watchdog saying in part that the agency needs to improve its oversight of new aircraft and that, quote, weaknesses in the FAA's certification process hurt the effectiveness of its oversight. Certainly going to come into focus again with those Pratt & Whitney engine failures that we saw this week, Don. All right. Thanks very much, Bertha Coombs, for those headlines. We appreciate it. When we come back on the show, a tale of two countries when it comes to taking on the COVID-19 pandemic. Our next guest breaks down the differences and similarities between the U.S. and the U.K. responses. That's coming up next. Plus, a stay-at-home stock winner under some pressure this morning. That name in the mystery chart will be revealed after this break. And later on, we head to our nation's capital where the Senate is putting a key section of Biden's $1.9 trillion stimulus plan on the possible chopping block. We've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back. The U.S. and the U.K. have labeled their COVID economic recovery plans Build Back Better, signaling that the countries are looking to improve upon the state of their economies compared to how they were before the pandemic. For more now on both countries' plans for recovery, let's bring in Nigel Wilson, Group Chief Executive of Legal in General and currently, by the way, serving on Prime Minister Boris Johnson's Build Back Better Council in the UK. Nigel, thank you very much for being with us here, sir. Let's talk about, first of all, what exactly you guys are doing in the UK to build back better. We've recognized we've got this huge infrastructure deficit and we need to level up at the same time. The world's awash with money, awash with capital, and we have to speed up the accelerated investment that's required in the longer term. We're going to get a great boost in Q2 and Q3 from consumption, but we need investment-led growth. And that has to be in rebuilding the fabric of our uh, societies. Now, when you say rebuilding the fabric of our societies, that could mean a, a number of things. Here in the U.S., we've had this dream of a massive infrastructure program for decades at this point now. What's the U.K. thinking about in terms of how it will build back better? Is it going to be in things like technology infrastructure, physical infrastructure, roads and bridges and tunnels and that sort of thing? It's absolutely going to be in those sorts of, uh, those, those sorts of areas. I mean, we've both underspent on infrastructure in the last th- 30 years, and we, we've fallen behind some p- other parts of the world. Yes, there's some great cities in, in, in America, like Austin, Texas, similarly in the UK, but across the whole of the, across the, whole of the United States, you know, our airports aren't, aren't good enough, the roads aren't good enough, the bridges aren't good enough. But the, 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 the digital part of the, the, the cities isn't good enough as well. We have to roll out 5G right across the UK. And it's part of our levelling up. You know, the, the rich people have done pretty well in the, in the pandemic and we've got K-shaped recoveries. That's not what we want going forward. We want much more levelling up. Build Back Better is going to be part of that, uh, or a principal part of that, that, that solution. And the... The gaps in our investments uh, are, are enormous in, in what we would describe as traditional infrastructure. However, the use of technology during the pandemic has been off the scale compared to what everybody uh, expected. We now realize there's massive potential in utilizing technology to drive even further economic growth. Climate change is just one area of that. You know, the, uh, the green agenda has come up everybody's uh, hit, hit list right, right now because energy is clean, green and cheap. You know, renewables are here to stay. There's a global trend towards uh, renewables. The U.S. and the U.K., through their great university systems and many of their big companies, have been fantastic at developing technology. We've seen that in our, you know, our world-beating vaccination uh, programs. But we also see it in life sciences. We see it in, in communications and entertainment. There are just enormous technological opportunities to invest as well to grow the economy. Now, Nigel, really quickly, we we have a few moments left here. What do you think are going to be the key differences between the U.S. and the U.K.'s responses? Well, I think the U.S. has got the most efficient, deepest capital market in the world and very innovative financing. I think that's going to let them have a lead coupled with their technological advantages over the rest of the world. So you'll see 
America being able potentially to bounce back better. My worry is that uh, everybody's going to be satisfied with consumption-led growth and will put the infrastructure investments on the, on the back foot. I'm absolutely convinced we, we won't do that in the UK. The US just doesn't have quite such a track record of implementing and executing on infrastructure projects. All right. Legal and Generals, Nigel Wilson, thank you very much, sir, for your thoughts and good luck with the recovery efforts in the UK. Thank you. Still on deck for the show, Reddit's favorite stonks are back in the spotlight. Why Wall Street is still scratching its head over GameStop's late day and pre-market surge this morning. But first, February is Black History Month, and we are honoring some of our CNBC contributors. Here is Courtney Gibson with her advice for the next generation. One piece of advice that I would give to the next generation of young black people in this country is to be unapologetically black. It is your superpower. It can be your superpower. It's up to you to use it. Ultimately, think big and focus, focus, focus. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Today's big number, $4.33 trillion. That's how much the National Retail Federation expects retail sales to hit this year. That represents an increase of more than 6.5% over the prior year. Legal and Generals, Nigel Wilson, just talking about the consumption-led economy in the U.S. Good morning. Welcome back to the show. A number of stock movers this morning. Let's start with shares of NVIDIA under a bit of pressure despite better-than-expected quarterly results. Analysts attributing that drop to comments from the company's CEO, He said he does not expect the business of selling processors to cryptocurrency miners, in his mind, to grow extremely large. Those NVIDIA shares down 2% right now. Let's go across the pond to Standard Chartered, restoring its dividend and announcing a special stock buyback. Shares are down in London trading as the lender missed estimates. Full-year profits more than halved, but it's backing long-term profit goals, suggesting it can recover from the impact of the virus pandemic. So those shares off 4% right now in British trading. And then Netflix says it will spend $500 million in South Korea this year to develop new content. The streaming company also announcing two original films out of the country. Those shares off about 1% of the pre-market trade. Now, one other stock to keep an eye on today is DoorDash. Take a look at what's happening here. Since its IPO, it is up 72%. It's up another 24% just so far in this year-to-date period as well. DoorDash, one of those big beneficiaries of the virus pandemic, the company will post quarterly results after the bell, its first report since going public. Now, the shares, again, up 73 percent since its IPO back on December 9th. But food delivery companies, a huge focus for a lot of investors during the virus pandemic. Well, straight ahead on the show, Moderna becomes the first vaccine maker to take on the South African strain. Those details coming up next. And if you have not already done so, subscribe to our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or whatever podcast app you choose. Worldwide Exchange in podcast format. We'll be right back.
stocks, they're back at record highs, but futures this morning are on relatively shaky ground. Reddit's favorite trades surging once again. Some users saying they missed the first write up, but won't miss it again. Wall Street's left scratching its head. And building homes in half the time for half the price. Yeah, you heard that right. How one new technology is trying to change the real estate landscape. Hint 3D. It's Thursday, February 25th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today on Worldwide Exchange. Here's how stock futures are looking halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. You can see the Dow is implied higher by roughly 60 points. That's been relatively stable for the last couple of hours or so. The S&P implied lower by just two points. But the Nasdaq, again, a key focus here, underperforming in the futures market right now, implying an open of about down 73 points for that Nasdaq index. Now, the Dow is coming off another wild day ending at a fresh record all-time high. You've got names like Boeing, Visa, Chevron, Goldman Sachs leading those blue chips higher. You can see their outsized gains for those stocks leading the Dow higher yesterday. This morning's pre-market gainers right now, take a look at what's happening there. You've got Dow, Johnson & Johnson, J.P. Morgan Chase, Honeywell, and Nike among the outperformers on the upside today for the overall Dow index. We're also keeping a close eye on Treasuries as well with the 10-year trading at around 12-month highs. At this stage, we are at 1.44% for the benchmark 10-year note yield, about 0.13% for the two-year note yield or 13 basis points, and the 30-year long bond just a hair below 2.3% as well. Now, take a look at this dynamic because we are seeing some movements here that are being attributed to this idea of a reflation trade happening. That 10-year note yield, again, going all the way back to the early part of 2020, the late part of 2020 there, and that move. And since the lows, remember, we've come sharply higher. This idea here that there is a reflation trade happening, a recovery happening, possibly prices picking up. That's leading to some gyrations in the market, specifically in these two parts of the broader market. Check out what's happening with the NASDAQ 100 and the small cap index. Now, the NASDAQ has been an outperformer for years at this point here. But take a look at just around November of last year. We started to see a divergence happening, and it's gotten wider and wider and wider. All of a sudden now, you see the small cap index markedly outperforming up 46% in the last six months. The NASDAQ 100 ETF, the ticker QQQ, is up roughly 13%. Valuations are a concern. Rising interest rates perhaps denting some technology stock valuations, but small caps still playing higher on the idea that we could see a reflation still happening. Well, stonks getting the most attention this morning as well. Stonks. That's a meme word these days. Check out the pre-market action in shares of AMC, GameStop, Costs some of those Reddit trades that we've seen on the Wall Street Bets forum. GameStop up 52% in the pre market trade. It's $140 a share just a handful of days ago. It was around $40 to $50 a share. AMC Entertainment up another 19%, and Cost Corp up 57% as well. Keep an eye on some of those names because they are moving again in the pre market. Now, singling out the poster child, GameStop. The stock surged more than 100% in late trading yesterday. Analysts ruling out another short squeeze like the one we saw back in July. Some pointing to an executive reshuffle. Others pointing to renewed interest on the Reddit Wall Street Bets forum. Either way, 
a staggering move to watch, as you can see there, again, up 54 percent in just this pre-market trade alone. And that's off the session highs that we've seen so far in the pre-market. Now to some of this morning's top corporate headlines. Bertha Coombs is back with those. Bertha. Thanks, Dom. Moderna says it's starting clinical trials of COVID booster shots for the highly contagious South Africa variant of the virus. The company has shipped doses to the NIH for an early stage trial. Verizon is the top bidder in a $81 billion auction for the license to use airways needed for 5G. The FCC announcing the winners yesterday. Verizon subsidiary bid nearly $45.5 billion. AT&T, also a winner, bidding $23.4 billion. And Tesla is said to be temporarily halting production of its Model 3 line in California. Bloomberg says workers at the plant were told the line would be down until March 7th. Tesla shares this morning down about 1%. That's going to be one to watch, Dom. All right, Bertha Coombs, thank you very much for that. To Washington, D.C. now, where senators are eyeing potentially significant cuts to President Biden's landmark $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill. Our own Ilan Moy joins us now with the latest there. Ilan, what's on the chopping block? Well, Don, we're expecting to find out today whether the minimum wage can even survive as part of Democrats' COVID relief package. The Senate parliamentarian heard arguments from both parties yesterday, and I'm told that a decision is likely today on whether this higher rate would comply with the special rules the Democrats are using to fast-track this bill. Budget Committee Chairman Bernie Sanders told reporters yesterday that he's confident Democrats would prevail. We think that... Uh, what we are proposing is consistent with the bird rules, consistent with the reconciliation process, and we hope she rules in our favor. God knows there are tens of millions of workers now who are dependent on raising that minimum wage. But some Republicans are trying to counter Democrats' message with alternatives of their own. Senator Josh Hawley is floating what he calls a blue-collar bonus, a special tax credit for workers who are making less than the median national wage. Senator Mitt Romney is proposing raising the wage to $10 an hour, but only after the pandemic ends. And other Republicans say that the minimum wage doesn't belong in Democrats' proposal at all. The minimum wage has got nothing to do with covid Zero to do with COVID. It's got everything to do with their liberal wish list. Now, some moderate Democrats are also uncomfortable with going up to $15 an hour. So, Don, the politics of raising the wage are just as complicated as the process. Back what, to you. What, what, so, so, OK, I mean, obviously, politics, there's a lot of nuance here. But I'm curious how this is even a debate. How are the Democrats even questioning this idea of a $15 minimum wage? I thought that was just part of the whole package that Democrats were seeking. Why is it even up for discussion right now within that party? Well, the reason, Dom, is Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia. He has said that he thinks $15 an hour is too high. He thinks $11 an hour is more appropriate. And there are other senators who agree with him. Senator Kirsten Sinema is also one of them who feels like $15 an hour might be going too far. There are others like uh, Senator Angus King who believe that, well, maybe, you know, this should be coupled with things like tax breaks for small businesses to help them comply with this. On the flip side, though, Dom, you have progressives who say that $15 is a floor, not a ceiling. And they are unwilling to see their party compromise on that and accept a smaller number. 
If this is ruled out by the Senate parliamentarian, they're willing to accept that, but they don't want Democrats to start uh, bargaining with themselves and lower that number. So even if this is ruled as okay by the Senate parliamentarian, it still has a lot of hurdles to face before it actually makes it into the bill, Dom. All right. A lot of cross currents there in the uh, debate over that bill. Thank you very much, Alon Moy, for the latest there on what's happening with the overall bill. Coming up on the show, we speak with the company behind Malibu. Jameson's absolute and more with a closer look at the U.S. consumer almost 12 months into the COVID-19 pandemic. We'll see if the comments echo others heard right here on CNBC in the last 24 hours when it comes to the state of the consumer. We're talking liquor coming up after this. It's murky as we peer into the future. Uh, We can look to markets like China where there's been terrific uh, containment of the, the virus. And you see occupancy levels returning almost to pre-pandemic levels. The challenge as we look around the world, occasionally we'll see a spike in infection rates, and it has a pretty significant chilling impact on demand. We're very optimistic for 21. We think this is uh, the beginning of a, of a long growth trajectory. We're not concerned about a, a relapse. In many ways, these habits will likely sustain for it to be an extended period of time post-pandemic. And that, that bodes well for many of the categories we compete in. The other thing that the pandemic did was it caused consumers to move toward trusted superior brands, which then benefited companies like P&G. I think the uh, digital growth obviously was a key piece of the puzzle in 2020. It's gonna continue to be a growth engine for us in the years to come. Our product is resonating with consumers at levels we have not seen in years. But as proud as we are with our results so far, we're even more excited about the future. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It may have just started as an experiment, but now 3D printed homes are a reality. And our own Diana Olick got an inside look at one of the first going up for sale right now, right here in our own backyard. It may look like toothpaste, but this 3D printing technology is spitting out a 1,900 square foot house. The concrete foundation, interior and exterior walls and utility conduits. This is the final product. We're trying to build houses uh, in half the time for half the price. New York-based SQ4D printed the model home in about two days with barely three workers, and it's cheap. Our profits will be higher, and we will be able to show that with more projects that we do. How do you sell a 3D printed house? I'd like to think it sells itself. What is the weirdest thing anybody has ever said to you when they walk into this place? Oh man, is it plastic? The company now has the permits to build on this site down the road. The first 3D printed home for sale to the public. 1,500 square feet, three bedrooms, two baths, listed at just under $300,000. That's about half the price of a comparable new home in the area. The offers are in the thousands. We are getting, people People are seeing the price across the nation and loving that. It's a layer by layer by layer of two inches thick. Potential buyers like the Johnsons from Kansas City are already lining up. We've been looking since uh, September of last year. A lot of the homes in the two counties are just impossible to find anything at this price. And this quality. 
So this is the raw interior of the 3D printed home, kind of like your exposed brick. But if you don't exactly love this, they can actually just smooth it out for you and it looks like a regular wall. There has been so much demand for this home that the builder is already getting offers from land developers who want to build entire 3D printed communities, not just here in Long Island, New York, but all across the country. Dom, I bet we're going to see a lot more of this. I mean, you're not that far from us right now, so it really is kind of in our own backyard here. Can, can, can you tell us a little bit, Diana, what exactly is the material again that they're using? Is it just a plastic house, like a, a 3D printed plastic house, no, a, a doll concrete. house? So it's all concrete. Solid poured concrete. Yes. All right. So, so with all the technology, why are the costs so much lower for the builders in this kind of an environment using these kinds of technologies and yet the same materials? Well, so it's not exactly the same materials. When you think about a concrete foundation on the house, yes, that's the same. But think about the lumber costs. We have been talking about the spike in lumber for weeks now. It's just incredible. It's adding $26,000 to the cost of a newly built home, the spike in lumber prices just in the past year, according to the National Association of Home Builders, but also the labor costs. Remember, we have a severe labor shortage, and that raises costs again for builders to try to get more labor in to get them to stay on the jobs. This house, you can build the vast majority of it with barely three people. Yes, you have to put the roofs on and the finishings, but most of it is done by a machine. All right. A fascinating story there. Maybe the future of home building out there. Dina Olick, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Throughout the COVID pandemic, consumption of alcohol at home has increased as many bars and restaurants, of course, are just opening back up now in the U.S., Pernod Ricard, the maker of Absolute, Jameson Whiskey, Malibu Rum and more, saw substantial growth in the first half of the fiscal year thanks to that home consumption with U.S. sales up 5%. Joining us now is Ann Mukherjee, CEO of Pernod Ricard North America. And your headquarters is not far from where I live in Connecticut out there. But, but you know, I, I've stayed at home. I've consumed more, but not that much more. How big of a spike has consumption been in the U.S. for beverage alcohol? Yeah, good morning, Dom. Great to be on today. Let me tell you, we've seen in-home consumption of alcohol basically offset um, what we've seen come down on the bars and on-premise. And so people are enjoying uh, spirits at home and enjoying making cocktails at home. We've seen a a big surge and and our portfolios really benefit from it. Now, what part of the portfolios are benefiting the most? Is it spirits? What types of spirits? Is it the champagne side of things? What's, what's driving the growth in beverage alcohol consumption? It is 100% spirits. We're seeing a lot of sourcing of volume from other parts of the category. And I'll tell you, there's some trends going on. The first, we've heard it many, many times, trusted brands. And so a brand for us like Jameson, which is very much a big household name, uh, we're seeing huge growth. We're seeing huge growth in our innovation with cold brew and uh, black barrel. But we're also seeing a lot of um, trends around cocktail making at home. And so cordials, Malibu, Kahlua, doing extremely well. Also with the pandemic, we're seeing a lot of you know social unrest. So people are looking for brands that have values and are willing to take a stand. And we've done that with Absolute. Um, and really created a brand that you can buy into. So the kind of responsibility approach that we've taken on Absolute and how we've marketed that brand. And then finally, I have to tell you, premiumization. People are buying things like high premium tequila, cognac. Um, You're seeing it with our American whiskeys portfolio, Martell. 
And so, um, you know, high, high uh, premium gin. Uh, we've seen that with Monkey 47. So you see a lot of premiumization going on, people wanting to drink those higher marks. And so you're seeing this kind of big trends across the board, and it's really helping uh, a portfolio like ours. If those are big and if those are big secular type of, you know, trends moving the market right now, how much longer do you think the kind of COVID momentum that you had can be sustained? It's got to trail off at some point, but is it in 2021, 22, 25? Well, let me tell you, I, I feel very bullish about what we're going to see even post-pandemic because you're going to see the bars and restaurants come back, but you're also seeing a new behavior in home. So it's really going to give a resurgence to the category. You're going to still see a lot of in-home celebrations, um, even post-COVID and in COVID. So I see a lot of resurgence even post-COVID coming into this industry. Here in the U.S., and this is a market that you're, you're very familiar with because Paranova Card is obviously very global, but in the U.S., it's been very much about bourbon for, for several years now at this stage. The prices for premium bourbons have gone up a lot. I know that I enjoy it. I know that my colleague Wilfred Frost and I have been into bourbons for a while now. He's into Jefferson's. That's one of your brands. How much more is the yes. investment in bourbon going to be for a company like Paranova Card seeing the kinds of growth that you've seen in that part of the market? Yeah, I will tell you, American whiskeys and bourbons, you're going to see that trend continue. And you're going to see a lot of innovation in that space. You mentioned Jefferson's. You know, this is a, a brand that we've actually started to do very innovative ways of aging the bourbon. We actually put it on a ship and, and we take it around the world and across the equator five times. And all that sea salt gets into the cask and it's creating a very different liquid. So you're going to continue to see this kind of innovation People are looking for it, um, and people are getting very sophisticated when they understand what kind of bourbons they're looking for. All right. Anne McCurgy at Paranova Car USA, thank you very much for that. Please stay in touch. Tell us how those trends continue in the coming year. You got it. Thank you. On deck for the show, breaking down the Reddit rally, what Carrie Firestone and Courtney Gibson have to say about the pre-market action in those stonks. And if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange at all, check us out on Apple or Spotify or other podcast apps. Worldwide Exchange, audio format. We'll be right back. We've got a very, very busy day coming up on CNBC, the place to go for CEOs. Interviews, that is. Keep it right here for exclusives from Bob Backish, Jensen Huang, Rich Allison, Mark Benioff, more. You can just see them all on that wall right there. CNBC, the place to go for CEOs. That's coming up throughout the course of our day here. Well, back to the markets and futures right now with the Dow at an all-time high that it hit yesterday. Major attention is being paid this morning on the Reddit stonk favorites. GameStop, AMC, Koss, and more all up big after this morning in late-day rallies yesterday with seemingly no news really driving the action. We've got exclusive data from Thinknum provided to CNBC to show what's getting the most mentions on Reddit in a given hour. Here are the numbers on just GameStop alone. You can see there 10 a.m. yesterday, a thousand occurrences, all the way up to 2000 talk talking points and threads there at 6 p.m. Eastern time mentions of GameStop on those Reddit threads more than doubling over the course of yesterday's trade. Joining me now is Courtney Gibson, Loop Capital President, and also Carrie Firestone, Aureus Asset Management Chairman and CEO. They are both CNBC contributors. Ladies, thank you very much for being here right now. Courtney, let, let me start with you. 
What's going on with these stocks? I, I thought these storylines were done. Hey, Dom. So good to see you this morning. You too, Carrie. You know, done or not done. I mean, I think we all know that Roaring Kitty, I just like to say that actually on TV for some reason, but he bought more GameStop was the word I heard on Friday. My dear brothers, the Nigerians, talked about the fact that he bought 50,000 more shares on Friday and his stock is now worth over $8 million. I'm not saying that's what's driving this per se. It could be a myriad of factors from management shakeup. It could be some things you and I just don't know about. Uh, I think when the news hits the tape, we, we won't be surprised that it's something major. But right now, this is just, uh, this is just a bit of a interesting play, shall we say, in game. So, so, Carrie, I mean, you've seen a, quite a bit of this type of action play out over the course of your investing career. Is there anything about these stocks, these meme Internet type stocks, these Reddit Wall Street bets type stocks that gets your attention in terms of wanting to invest in any of them? Well, hi, Dom and Courtney. And I would say that up until a month or so ago, who uh, in the investment professional business knew about the Reddit hot list. I mean, we just got used to looking at the uh, Robin Hood top 100. So this is something new we have to pay attention to because the, of the amount of activity, the volume that's going into these trades. But ultimately, what we really have to care about are fundamentals. Are the names on this list? Is GameStop worthy of our investment because of its fundamentals? You know, we invest in a portfolio of about 35 names. Does GameStop make that list? It doesn't. It's a name that we've known in the past. We've owned it in the past. Ten years ago or, or more, we owned GameStop. It's not something that we would own now. We have to pay attention to the action because money that goes into GameStop comes from someplace else. It comes from Apple or Facebook. It might come from cash. But these are factors in the market that have to inform decisions we make. But it's not because we're buying a list because it's on Reddit. So, so Courtney, I, this, this is kind of interesting to me only because you can definitely say by the charts that you've made more money in GameStop than you had in Apple over the course of the last, say, 6 to 12 months. Yet there, there are very different profiles for people who traffic in a name like GameStop versus other stocks like Kerry mentioned. Who exactly should be trafficking in names like AMC, GameStop, Cost, and others? Well, you know, I think Kerry made two important points. So, Don, before I kind of jump to, to that point, I think there's two things that we have to remember here. There are people that are trafficking in names, and there are people that are investing in names for the long term. I'm not sure that the traders that are in GameStop are thinking about the long-term fundamentals of the company. And if they are, um, then they're considered investors, right? So there's a difference. There's traders, there's investors. So we have to kind of segment the two. I can't determine whether or not someone should have this in their portfolio or not. That's up to them or, or their financial advisor at this juncture. But what I can tell you, and Carrie is 100% right, you have to pay attention to the price action. You have to pay attention to the volumes because it is coming from somewhere. I'm not saying that that's what's causing the sell-off in tech right now, but one might want to think about 
why it is we are selling off right now and were people raising cash potentially to buy some of these names in the marketplace. And this is, again, not just a retail play. We saw some block trades going up in games. So I think we have to really pay attention to what's happening, the volumes that are trading, the size trades to understand kind of the flows in the market right now in these names. So, so that brings up a, a good point there to kind of talk a little bit about what people are doing with regard to allocations here, Carrie. When you said before that when you buy certain things, there's always an opportunity cost, right? You're selling something else, you're using cash, whatever it is. What exactly then does seem attractive to you, Carrie, if it's not some of these stocks that are showing 2,000 percent returns over the course of the last six months to a year? <laughs> That's funny. 2,000%. I would take that any time. Uh, so what we've been buying uh, on the reopening side, a, a name like American Express. It sells for under 16 times earnings. Uh, people haven't been traveling for business, spending money on their vacations. It's the type of stock that in this market will be helped by higher interest rates and the reopening of all kinds of venues that people used to use for leisure spending. So American Express is one. How about Remax? It's a, a, the largest brokerage firm that's public. RMAX, uh, we like that name here. It's a small cap, too, and people like small cap stocks. SL Green, it's the largest real estate owner of commercial real estate in Manhattan, is a name that we've been adding to that we like. We also, uh, again, Boston Scientific, very few discretionary uh, surgeries last year. And that's a stock that has underperformed, and we think over the next year or two, trades higher. O'Reilly Auto Parts, uh, people didn't drive a lot last year. Mileage was down. We're going to see more driving. The stock has come in, and we find it attractive right here. I also think that you can, you can even make a case for, for Facebook right here. Facebook is uh, trading for under 20 times next year's earnings. And, you know, the stock has been hurt as with Apple, Amazon, and all of the things have come in under pressure because money moving elsewhere. That trade will turn around at some point and we would be a buyer. Uh, Carrie, it's why we have you as a CNBC contributor here. I mean, you've got, you got so many names on your list. You're always keeping track of all these stocks. <laughs> Courtney, what about you? What's on your shopping list these days? Where are you finding value? Where are the best returns for you and your profile over the next six to 12 months? Well, you know, it's interesting. So on my personal portfolio, because I leave the professional stuff to our clients and to carry over here, but for my personal portfolio, I really do run a barbell approach. I mean, I have a, a much longer time horizon than um, than one might think. And so I can kind of balance a lot of growthier names with value names. So I did buy API, which think Clubhouse, think China Play. It sold off back to where it was a few weeks ago, and I think it still has a tremendous amount of room for growth. Um, I added to Square again. Square should not have sold off. I mean, let's think about the 36 million monthly users on Square and the potential for continuous growth in the long term. Think Cash App. Um, I love Square, and when it dipped down below, I think it was around 235 or so, I got back in again and added to my position. I added to Walmart, so think about the other side of that pendulum. You think about a Walmart, right, where they missed, which is a rarity for them, but it's Walmart. You can put it in your back pocket and go to sleep, and, you know, 10 years from now, you'll still have had a 16 17% return. So am I knocking it out of the park with a Walmart? No, but I have names that can knock it out of the park over that same time horizon and have it balanced with some names with potentially a little less risk and volatility in them. All right. 
Courtney Gibson, Kerry Firestone, both CNBC contributors, thank you both very much for your thoughts on the markets. We appreciate it. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Dom. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box picks up the coverage next with the markets coming off record highs just yesterday. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.